Hi and welcome back to another episode of Roan Infobites. Today I'm joined by Ian Sheets, who's the Eastern and Central US Regional Manager at Our Biofarm Inc. We'll be discussing the official methods for vitamin analysis. So welcome to another episode of our Roan Infobite series. Today I'm joined by Ian and I'll let Ian introduce himself. Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Ian Sheets from Our Biofarm Inc. in the United States. Uh, I am the Eastern and Central U.S. Regional Sales Manager. Been with the company a little over 18 years this year. So uh, I've been around for a little while. But yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me join you, Claire. No, it's a pleasure to have you here. So hopefully you've listened to some of these podcasts before and you know that we always start with a little bit of an icebreaker. So really getting to tell a story about food. So hopefully you've got something prepared. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's funny or tragic, but hopefully <laughs> slightly entertaining. I, I've always had a, a reputation for being a little bit of an adventurous eater and having an iron stomach. And uh, one particular entrance, in, uh, instance about 10 years ago, I was actually at our headquarters in Missouri and found myself in a hot wing challenge. Okay. Um, I made, made it through and actually set a record. But uh, the, real, the real story didn't start until about three o'clock in the morning when I woke up in, in terrible pain. And I think, the, uh, I think the attendants at the convenience store across the street from the hotel were probably taken a little aback when they saw a large guy in almost nothing but his underwear chugging milk in the back of the store to try to, to try to calm the fire. And, uh, but the, the real surprise was the next, was the next morning, uh, when I realized I had, uh, transferred the capsaicin from my fingers on my contact lenses Oh no! and I didn't have any backup glasses and I was due to drive home. And so I spent about five hours driving like Mr. Magoo at <laughs> 20 miles an hour, uh, home. And, if that wasn't my last challenge, it probably wasn't, but it should have been. I'm a slow learner. So uh, yeah, anyway, it was a, a life lesson and a big memory. There you sure. go. And does the record still stand there for the, the yeah. challenge? It, it was it was on the wall until they painted over it uh, and, and started a new challenge. So, yes, I, I, I'll have that record forever. There you go. I so, I mean, that's, that's, that's worthwhile going through all that pain <laughs> at the end of the day. There's a picture and a T-shirt uh, to prove it, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. That's it. Maybe you should frame that T-shirt and have that up in your wall now that it's all been painted over in, in the restaurant. So, yeah, obviously here today we're, we're wanting to talk about vitamins and um, the use of official methods. And really, I think vitamins is quite an important area. It's where official methods are used quite routinely. Before we really get into it in further detail, can you firstly explain what we mean by official methods and why some customers would want to choose to follow these methods? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, to me, in simple terms, an official method is really kind of a universal seal of approval. Uh, it's, it's criteria that's been set out by a, a, a group uh, that has expertise on the analyte that uh, defines what criteria are important and and then um, the methods are then qualified to make sure that they can uh, completely uh, satisfy those criteria and do it in a repeatable way. Uh, so once once you have a method that has um, met that purpose and it's been validated by an objective third party, then it's something that any lab can pick up and follow and expect to have uh, good results. So I think over the last um, sort of 20 years there's been a shift in the way the analysis has been conducted for vitamins 
If you look at some of the official methods, some of these were established in the 1960s. So there's AOAC method um, 960.46, which is based on microbial um, method. And there's also European standards methods such as EN 14131 and 14166, again using microbiological methods. So can you explain the principle behind these methods? Yeah, so they actually uh, rely on a microorganism in order to do the work for us. Um, Essentially, what we do is we have a a media or an agar that contains all the nutrients that a specific microorganism needs, except for the analyte that we're looking for. So, for example, with the B12, we'll be using lactobacillus. Um, The the microbe is only going to grow in proportion to the amount of analyte that's in there. Uh, and it becomes uh, cloudy in the reaction vessel and so forth. And then we can basically make, pass light through it and measure uh, the turbidity of that and correlate that to, to a standard. Uh, you're completely relying on the, the growth of the microorganism. Obviously, this is something that takes, takes some time to do. Um, it's not an instantaneous uh, process but it's it's reliable um it just has a lot of uh, bottlenecks and potential pitfalls along the way yeah yeah i think um you know as you mentioned they are they were developed in 1960s tests have changed so you know do you think what are the reasons you think have helped to move um away from these traditional microbiological methods towards more sort of chemical based and instrumental analysis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when these methods were developed, there wasn't a lot of uh, LCMS going on at the time. You know, this is this is development, new technology that's become available, um, first of all. But the, the driving factors, I think, are are largely the uh, the time requirement. That's that's the obvious one. But the specificity is also uh, a, a, an important factor. So, you know, just to, to give an example, you have to first grow out your culture uh, in order to uh, run the microassay, and then you have to uh, run your assay itself, which is going to take 24 or probably 48 hours in most cases. Uh, so there's there's some time commitment. You also have, uh, I mentioned pitfalls, the chance that this all has to be done under sterile condition uh, because you can have cross-contamination. Uh, you can have growth that you don't know if it's the vitamin or if it's, if it's some kind of infection, for lack of a, a better term. And I think that... Uh, that points to the second, the second factor of specificity. You're not actually measuring B12 directly or whatever vitamin directly. You're, you're measuring that, that microorganism that's grown. It's an indicator. Yep. Um, but you get kind of a blind signal. You get this turbidity. Uh, with the chemical methods, say for, for example, LCMS, you are, um, you're kind of working around those issues. Uh, you've got something that is done uh, relatively quickly. You've got uh, something that is done under, you know, normal uh, chemi- chemistry lab conditions. You don't have to worry about sterility, but then also you, your result is much more specific. You have uh, all of the indicators that are inherent to uh, HPLC or LCMS that al- allows you to directly measure the B12 or, the, or whatever vitamin that you're measuring. And and um, you know that that's what you're seeing, and not um, and not some other some other compound or some other microorganism, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, there's been immune affinity columns developed some um, from ourselves, 
And this has really helped to change analysis. So how uh, can you give an overview and a principle of how immune affinity columns work? Yeah, so uh, they rely on the same mechanism that you might, if you're familiar with ELISA's, uh, it's, it's a, an immunological uh, re, you know, chemical reaction where you have an antibody and an antigen, which sort of act as a lock and key. Uh, immune affinity columns hold the antibody, which will specifically bind to uh, the analyte that it's targeted against, um, in, this case, in this case, vitamins. So if you've got a column or a, a syringe, uh, really is what it looks like, that contains this, it's really a, a, a biological sieve, if you will. Uh, you pass the sample through it. Everything that you don't want passes through, but that one analyte binds and sticks to the antibody layer. Yep. Uh, then you can release that and elute that with, a, with solvent. And what you end up with is a purified, concentrated extra, uh, extract of the, the analyte in question. So it does a number of things. It, it, it gets rid of any interfering compounds, and it also gives you uh, a more, uh, in addition to purified, more concentrated um, sample for your analysis. So one of the um, industries that was very keen to um, update the official methods was the infant formula industry, um, and they really were very keen to move away from the microbiological methods and were very quick in uptaking these new um, immune affinity columns when they came available on the market. But it's not the only industry that immune affinity columns are beneficial. There are things like health supplements, for example. I mean, it's been estimated that this industry alone is growing around 9% every year. Um, and 60% of adults are now taking at least one supplement a day, if not more. Um, so there's also a new working group for this area. The AOAC has set up. It's the Botanical and Dietary Supplement Integrity Programme. And they are looking at um, establishing official methods in this area. How could immune affinity columns be of benefit for this industry? Well, there's really a, a couple aspects I think that are important to mention. Uh, the first is that seldom do you have a supplement or uh, interest in uh, analyzing a supplement where it's only one vitamin. Um, multiple vitamin analysis becomes uh, desirable in this case. Uh, we in and the the Rhone column there is a multivitamin column there, yeah. um, just to just to point that out. But but um, so, you know, sel seldom are we are we trying to do one analysis or do we want to do you know twelve different analysis for, for for twelve different vitamins. So immunity immuno affinity columns can uh, can one help um, streamline the analysis process that, uh, in order to to gain. Uh, data for, for for multiple analytes at once. The the second one, and probably the the more important I, in my in my experience, is that supplements are based off of a wide variety of exotic and, and sometimes pretty complex matrices. And going back to that purification uh, aspect, um, there are a lot of compounds that can interfere with the chromatography um, of of an analysis. In, in things. I mean, uh, we've seen everything from, you know, highly colored spices and, and things that uh, if you've done much, uh, much chromatography work knows that they're, they're problematic. Uh, immuno affinity columns really give you the ability to discard all of those other compounds within a given matrix and end up with a very pure extract that's going to perform well on your instrument. Yeah. Absolutely. As you said, you know, 
um, spices, things like, you know, turmeric, ashwagandha, black pepper. You know, we have a lot of experience analysing these for mycotoxins. But the same principle goes for um, vitamins. The immune affinity column can remove all that interfering um, components, giving you a nice clean chromatogram at the end of the day. Now, you touched on there that there um, we have a multivitamin immune affinity column on the market. Can you explain what makes this product um, so unique? Yeah, so it, it, the, a couple aspects there as well. One, it's it's large. It, uh, it's a large volume column. Um, but really what the most unique aspect of it is, is the sample mixes directly with the uh, with the gel instead of just uh, just passing through. I used the analogy of a sieve earlier where it's it's going to contact it and move on. It's actually uh, stirred up, if you will, um, during the during the process and uh, to allow for for probably optimum binding, I would think, uh, over a traditional pass through format. Yep, yep. And I think there's a, a big advantage of mixing the the sample directly with the gel that it helps to not only improve recoveries but also to help um, keep repeatability as low as possible um, and it meets with very strict method performance criteria that, that we've worked with there so yeah um, a very good product very unique product on the market absolutely now obviously the success of a product is to do with the um, antibodies that are contained in the immune affinity column can you explain sort of a bit about the antibody and whether it's the total b12 content that's measured within the column that we have yeah so uh, the antibody is, uh, again, specific, but in this case, specific to cyanocobalamin. Um, so during the extraction process, our, uh, cyanide is used. Cyanide will modify any of the B12 that's, that's there into the cyanocobalamin form. Uh, so it is, it's detecting the total B12, but in the form of cyanocobalamin. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's it's quite important for some customers. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that way you can assure that you're picking up, uh, you know, everything that's in the sample. So obviously just to, to round up um, at the end there, I think it's um, we have a technical services team which are instrumental um, in Glasgow, which very much uh, work with our customers to help to optimise methods, um, to possibly work with their samples uh, and really make a specific um, service um, to help with analysis. Ian, have you had any sort of experience in working with the team when you've been out in the field? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the support network from from the team there in Glasgow has has been really instrumental in bringing uh, bringing some of these analysis uh, to bear and, and making them standard laboratory practices. As we we've kind of hit on, um, there's a large variety of matrices that uh, that are important in the vitamin world, and uh, they present unique challenges. Um, there is a great catalog of application notes already available, but uh, in my experience, the team there at RBR has been, you know, very willing to accept samples to do to do uh, matrix specific validations. And I don't know, I, there's countless times um, where it's been the difference between uh, success and, uh, and, and taking the long road and, and being able to get something up and running in a lab. Yeah, yeah, they certainly got their, their work cut out with a, a wide variety of samples. Well, I think so, but they make it look easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell them you said that, so thank you. But thanks again for joining us today, Ian. And that's the end of another um, episode of the Ronin for Bite series.
Okay, next one. Welcome to another episode of Roan Infobites. Today I'm joined by Ronald Niemeyer, who's the marketing manager at our biofarm. In this episode, we're discussing... See, simple things totally trip you up. Welcome to another episode of Roan Infobites. Today I'm joined by Ronald... It's the pressure, right? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Roan Infobites. Today I'm joined by Ronald Niemeyer, who's the marketing manager at our biofarm in Germany. In this episode, we discuss how to manage the mycotoxin mayhem. Welcome to the Roan Infobites podcast series. In today's episode, I am discussing the benefits of automation with Elizabeth Manning, the International Sales and Business Development Manager at our biofarm Roan. That should be us. 